When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode of the Golf Unfiltered podcast is brought to you by WorldwideGolfShops.com. Be sure to go out to WorldwideGolfShops.com for all of your equipment, apparel, and accessory needs. They've even got training aids. They've got all the great stuff from all the brands that you hear on our podcast every week. So once again, that is WorldwideGolfShops.com. You're listening to the Golf Unfiltered podcast, your source for in-depth interviews with the biggest names, brands, and personalities in golf. Our mission, to keep you informed and help you enjoy the game even more. And now, the owner and host of the Golf Unfiltered podcast, Adam Fonseca. Welcome back, everybody. This is the Golf Unfiltered podcast. I am your host, as always, Adam from GolfUnfiltered.com. You can send me an email, Adam, at GolfUnfiltered.com. And you can go ahead and find us all over social media, at Golf Unfiltered. Folks, uh, you know where we can be found. We are all over all the popular podcast networks, including the HackersParadise.com podcast network, where we are joined by our two friends, Dan and Rob, over at Off Course, another show on the network. And then, of course, there's Range Days, which is another uh, another great podcast that I want you to go check out. They take really in-depth looks over at uh, different pieces of equipment, a little bit of story behind them. And uh, I think you'll enjoy it. You also know that we are really good friends with our friends over at Cleveland, Srixon, and Zegzio. Let me tell you a story. So at the time of this recording, uh, literally about 10 minutes ago, I finished my first build, uh, complete graphite shafts in my Srixon's uh, Z785 uh, irons and my new Cleveland Zipcore wedges. Shafts I put in were some nice recoils, some nice uh, recoil protos from my friends over at UST Mamiya. And uh, uh, if you follow us on social, you know that it was an experience. And uh, I have to admit that some mistakes were made, luckily. Uh, nothing too drastic. Um, I, I did unfortunately lose one of the uh, the iron shafts, and that was completely due to my idiocy. And uh, lack of experience working with graphite. But you know what? I think we all go through it. At least that's what I've been told by people trying to make me feel better. (laughs) And uh, just a word of advice. Don't use a belt sander for uh, graphite shafts the first time. Do it. Do do the the shaft uh, tip prepping by hand. Just take some sandpaper and it's fine. It'll be fine. Might take a little extra time, but not too much more. And it's going to really save you a lot of heartache and a little bit of embarrassment. So that being said, though, I'm excited to uh, get out and try them. They are currently downstairs in uh, GUHQ in the basement, uh, you know, curing, drying up, getting ready for play. And uh, today was a good day to finish the build because it is very rainy outside. So hope everyone's staying safe out there. And at least at least some of you are able to get out there and play a little golf. You know, when we talk a lot about uh, a lot of different topics on this podcast, and as you know, in the previous episode, we talked a lot about, you know, biomechanics, getting your body to move correctly, you know, taking some stress off your joints, some exercises. And this week, we're going to kind of continue that conversation, but in a different way. And I have to admit, I I wasn't sure 
where this conversation was going to go. And the reason I say that is because uh, the man that we have on today, the guest, is uh, Virgil Herring. And if you've not heard of Virgil before, um, you know he t- he's a podcast host as well. He hosts the On the Verge podcast that you can find all over the place. You'll find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever. He's also got a YouTube channel. He's a professional golf coach. He's worked with all different levels of play, including uh, the PGA Tour. And he is a very thoughtful fellow. You know, I did a little research prior to the episode, and uh, I should say that Virgil was introduced to me from another mutual friend. And in my research and just listening to a little bit of the content that Virgil produces, he covers not only golf, he's a very good coach. I mean, he he has a lot of great content about your swing and everything, but he also covers just life in general. And I was surprised by that, you know, not surprised because I didn't think that someone was able to do that, but just because that's not what I expected in doing my, my research on Virgil. And he and I do a little bit of that today. We talk a little, we talk a lot about golf, of course, but then I think you'll hear that it branches off into a few different directions. And, you know, honestly, I learned so much from these last two weeks, these last two guests, including Virgil today, that, you know, I think I I need to continue to go down this path a little bit. I think I need to continue to have guests on. Now, certainly we're going to, you know, we're going to continue to talk about all the things that you like to talk about. You know, new equipment releases. We're going to have interviews with people from different brands. You know, we've got a great one coming up. Um, you know, we're going to get our friends over from Cleveland Golf on to talk about Zipcore. But this this type of interview is really intriguing to me, and I hope it is for you as well. So we're going to be right back after a quick word from our friends uh, over at Ben Hogan with Mr. Virgil Herring. I think you're going to enjoy it. Today's episode is also brought to you by the Ben Hogan Golf Equipment Company. No big hype, no big price, but definitely a big deal. Take advantage of their factory direct model where you cut out the middleman and get the best products shipped to your door direct from the company. They've got a demo program to try out their products before you buy, a trade-up program to get these clubs in your hands even quicker, and special financing where you can split your payment into four to make these clubs even more affordable. Go to BenHoganGolf.com to learn more. That's right, folks. Welcome back to the show. And joining me today uh, is Mr. Virgil Herring. He is many things, and we're going to talk to a lot. We're going to talk about a lot of those things today. But he is a PGA uh, teaching professional. He is a coach by nature. We we're just talking a little bit before we got going here, Virgil. It's a pleasure to speak with you, Adam. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm very excited to be here. You know. I was doing a little bit of research because I'm a professional podcaster, virtually, <laughs> and I wanted to learn more about you because a mutual friend of ours introduced our, um, us to each other. Yeah, and I have to say, you do a lot of different things, and most notably, at least in what I found, in a, in addition to your coaching, you're a co- you're a host of the mm-hmm. uh, On the Verge podcast. Uh, tell us a little bit about how you got started in podcasting. Well, I did radio. Uh, for 19 years, I did a golf show. It was called Talking Golf with Virgil Herring. Mm-hmm. And COVID ended that because there was no advertising dollars. So that got squished. But I did radio for 19 years. And I had a lot of fans uh, tell me that they wanted to hear me do interviews outside of golf talk. Because I tried to turn my golf show into something that was bigger than just talking about what Tiger was doing or what, sure. you know, what whoever was winning was doing. 
So somebody came to me and asked me to do it. But the only caveat was he was going to, he was willing to get me started and front me the money, but it had to be called on the verge. I'm like, well, okay. (laughs) So that's how it goes. And then my podcast is based around interviewing successful athletes, entrepreneurs, musicians, and people in the wine industry, because those are my passions. And I asked them about what makes them great. And also, you know, something they persevered through and then tell them, let them tell their story about what they do to recharge their batteries. I kind of take people up, down and up uh, to kind of let people realize that even these super successful people have had bad moments that they learned how to persevere through. And then they also share the things that they do to recharge their batteries. And usually that has something to do with their favorite concert, favorite band, favorite football, baseball, basketball team. And then we talk about wine because that's one of my favorite passions and that a lot of people resonate with that. And I try to keep it fun just like you do. And it's fun. I love it. Yeah, I do too. That's on the verge. It's a podcast you can find anywhere uh, listeners where podcasts are found, you know, and Virgil, it's evident that you're a, you're a really thoughtful guy. And I'd imagine that you take those passions uh, that you just talked about and you bring that with you to your coaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, how long have you been a coach? See, I started teaching golf while I was still in Mississippi State in the professional golf management program. And I'd say 1995 is when, you know, in Mississippi at the time, there weren't that many coaches. And Mississippi State had 190 PGM students. Hmm. And we had the number one men's golf team and the number 20 girls golf team and really nobody to coach them. So I cut my teeth teaching golf, the best players in the country. Hmm. So I never really started teaching beginner golf. I started teaching the best players and I was very fortunate there because I got a chance to see quickly what are the things that everybody does great. And I started calling them fundamentals. I later learned that, that what I, a lot of what I saw were characteristics of greatness hmm. and the fundamentals were attached to them in some way. But I quickly just started to get people that were struggling to kind of do this or that, that everybody else seemed to do and quickly got better. And I fell in love with what I felt when I helped people play better Hmm. and how much it meant. Golf golf has a bizarre feeling to it, which is when you love golf and you play good golf, there's not much things that can beat that in your heart and your soul. And when you see that kind of joy and and passion come out in people, it's addictive as the coach. Hmm. And I fell in love with uh, that feeling. And it becomes mutual. Like the more I help people, the more I want to help people and the more people come to see me. And then it's just, it's a cycle. That's a, it's a beautiful cycle for a business guy. And I'm very fortunate. I love that. So you're a strong player yourself. Would you say you get more enjoyment out of the coaching as opposed to shooting a good score yourself? Way more. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say I didn't Now, Don't get me wrong. I love to play great golf. Um, but if you, if I'm going to go out and play with my two sons, and I shoot 70 and my youngest son, who's 12, shoots 75. And that's his lowest score he's ever shot. And he's so excited. I'm way more into his 75 than I was my 70. Mm-hmm. And and then, you know, right here, I, I teach golf and I'm the director of golf at Ensworth, mm-hmm. which is a private high school here in Nashville. We're the number three ranked team in the country. Wow. And by f- we have 14 boys on the golf team. And I believe 11 of them will play division one. Huh. And I had 11 players on my team last year with a scoring average of less than 73. So that's really fun. And we won our first state championship ever for the school last year. 
So that was that doesn't get much better than that for me. And I, I was more nervous coming down the home stretch for them than I ever have been in any of my 14 professional victories. So it's like, to me, it's not even close. And that's why I know what I, I made the right decision in my career because I can't wait to coach and help people achieve their dreams much more so than my playing. So that's a sign of a good coach there, I would say. All, all the things you just mentioned, getting the enjoyment out of the performance of those you teach while still building upon the love of the game that you already had. Yeah. And I was very fortunate. Like I was a, I was a good player trying to figure out how good I could be. So the first coach that I had was Bill Strasball. So Bill Strasball is the only PGA professional ever to have won all the major awards for the PGA, hmm. which is why the fifth award is called the Bill Strasball award. Right. And so he was my mentor. And then when he passed away, he, he saw how I saw the golf swing. And he said, you know, the person who's t- who sees the swing like you do, that's widely recognized as one of the best is Jim McLean. So I went to see Jim McLean. Jim McLean helped me as a player and as a coach. And from there, I just took off and I laugh at myself on this. I mean, when I was from all the way through college, I probably read two or three books in my life. But as soon as I figured out that I wanted to be a great coach, I think I've read 800 books on the golf swing, mental performance, mental coaching, leadership, and all the nuances that come into play when it comes to leading and guiding people to their dreams. And it's mm-hmm. way more than just the mechanics of the golf swing, but obviously the mechanics of the golf swing matter because that's what people come see me for, but they don't realize I'm sneaking in the back door underneath the hood and I'm messing with their, I'm messing with their brain and how they see what they're doing and how they, how to learn to access the talent that they have. And I think that that's my favorite part of understanding coaching which is everything starts in the mind and you have to figure out how to circumvent fear, anxiety, and bring out what they already know how to do. That's an art form that I, I love to, I love to sneak up on people. <laughs> that's, on that. Yeah. That sounds like a good way to put it. You know, and once your students who've come to you for mechanical help understand and realize that they're getting much more than that, how do they respond typically? Well, they, they don't know quite what happened because they, they, they didn't realize how much the game is cultivated in the mind. Hmm. And they always thought that, that, that they, get, they got the mental part of the game after the physical part of the game was there. But people who in, are in that place learn quickly that you, you'll never get there if you're only focused on the, men, on the physical pieces of the golf swing. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, uh, all of your muscle memory, all of your golf swings are stored in the cerebellum. And the only way that you can access that information is to shut off the prefrontal cortex, which also is the key to keeping you safe. And Mm. keeping you safe is a unique term because we can say keeping you safe is I see out of bounds to the right, so I'm going to hit it left. But if you learn how to control your mind, you you see the out of bounds, right? But then you focus on where do you want the ball to go? And you've hit 100,000 straight tee shots in your lifetime. So we can do it again. Learning how to access that talent is the actual key to playing great golf. It's not about whether you can make a great swing. There's a lot of great golfers who have beautiful golf swings that we don't see on TV because they don't know how to access it. Hmm. And that is the talent within the talent is learning how to access what you know. Once they figure that out with your help and guidance, you know, the talent within the talent is an interesting way to put it. Once they realize that and they, they can harness it, do most get to that next level 
where they can truly begin to unlock their their true potential or is there even more coaching that's required well the then you you get into the layers you know there's a big difference between an elite high school player and an elite college player and then there's a big level difference between an elite college player and an elite professional player so each each layer requires a different level of understanding because analytics provide us a lot of information, but what it takes to be a great high school player is more fundamental. And what it takes to be a great college player has a little more nuance with the fundamentals and being a great professional player has even more nuances on top of those nuances and fundamentals. Right. And so, yes, but my main job is to figure, help people figure out how great they can be so that they never have to wonder why. Hmm. Then never have to wonder why I didn't make it. You know, I gave it everything I got. I got to be a plus three enough to play uh, at a very nice college, but I wasn't enough to play on TV, but I, I know that I played as good as I can play. That's very helpful for people because there's so many college players that are tormented by whether they're going to be good enough to play on TV. And then they don't know what to do to get there. They get lost in the minutia and they miss the big picture. And I'm trying to help them declutter their brain on what's really important and help them because each person is different. What it takes for me to play great golf might not be anything that it requires for you to play great golf and try to get people to stop trying to be Tiger Woods or Rory McIlroy or Jordan Spieth and get them in literally to be Virgil, just be Virgil. Right. You can't be Rory, but we are so impressionalized by what we see on TV that I can't tell you how many times I've talked to my the kids on my team and like, well, well, Rory would go for it here. Well, I'm like, guess what, buddy? You're not Rory, <laughs> you know? And well, I can hit it just as far. Like you might hit it just as far once every 10 balls, but keep in mind, you are very, very far from Rory. Now that doesn't mean to demean you, but let's not think like anybody else other than who you are. Mm-hmm. And when we get people to think like that, people start changing because they're like, Oh, well, I don't need to hit three wood from 272 off a downhill lie to a pin over water. I'm going to hit six iron sand wedge. And most people underestimate the quality of their iron play and overestimate the quality of their long shots mm. over under duress. Right. You know, it's a big difference when you're playing with your buddies and a big difference when the pencil's on you and you've got one hole left and you've got to hit a shot. 270 over water with the three wood. You may have done that once or twice in your life, but to be able to do it right now with all the pressure on you, mm, not, not sure about that. And that's what, that's my job is the coaching and helping people what they're really good at and what they need to get better at so that they don't waste any time because there's not enough time in the day, let alone to get work on everything that is golf. So my job is to help them navigate their, their time. It's allotted to practice so that they're getting efficiency out of their practice and make them a better player. So another part of your job, I would assume is, and you mentioned this, you know, it's not all mechanics, but that plays a part in it. And what I really enjoy about, uh, you know, some of the stuff I saw, some of your content on YouTube, as well as listening to you uh, in other uh, formats was how you like to break down things in a very easily digestible manner. I'm thinking of things like the three T's of the downswing, for example, you know, sequencing and you try to, I can, I can feel that you're trying to kind of put that, that fundamental picture in their mind while working in, like you said earlier, course management, the mental side of everything. Has that always been your approach? I have a bizarre knack for acronyms. 
and <laughs> things that make things easy to remember. Maybe because I went to Mississippi State and that's a sign. But anyway, I, I'm always trying to figure out, like, I got to keep things simple. Yeah. You know, easy to remember. So when I was on, the, I, I used to do Golf Channel work and I stepped down from the Golf Channel after COVID kind of went down. And obviously Golf Channel has gone through some turmoil itself. So they took down all my videos. But my, my first live sequence on Golf Channel was called the Four Sweet Teas. I added another tea oh. to to it. And it, because I'm in Nashville, Tennessee, and I'm, it's sweet teas. So we, <laughs> we put those four sweet teas in and people have really clung to that. Something that's simple, like sweet tea. What are the teas? And then you start to realize it's like, you know, transfer your weight, tuck your elbow, twerk your hands and turn your body, you know? So like all of those things, like what are the, what are the four teas? And then you tell them like, T, 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 T. Aha, I get it. And it's easier to remember than to go through the whole verbiage of transfer your weight appropriately, tuck your trail elbow, twerk your hands so that you're de-lofting the face as you're turning through the finish. Right. Ah, okay. So you put all those pieces together and then I have a way of disseminating the information for problems. If you transfer your weight and you hit it for a right-handed golfer, you hit it to the right, you tucked your elbow, but you didn't twerk your hands. If you hit it to the left, you torqued your hands, but you didn't tuck your elbow. And if you hit it solid, but you didn't, it stayed dead straight right. You didn't finish your turn. You didn't mm -hmm. get your right shoulder to the target. So my, not only do I break it down so it's easy to remember, I also create a roadmap for people to understand like when you hit this shot, which T was off. Hmm. So which was the unsweet T? That's how I view it. And once again, that's easy to remember. And anything that has nothing to do with golf that brings a smile to your face tags in your memory. And that's how I get people to remember. I, once again, that's me sneaking in the back door. They don't realize why I did it that way, mm -hmm. but it makes it easy to remember. And it keeps them on course sharper and it allows them to handle adversity longer because their, their game plan is not mechanics. The game plan is the four sweet teas, or I don't want any unsweet tea in my downswing. So like you mentioned earlier, when the pencil's on you and you have to hit that shot, you're allowing that easily recallable mantra. Yeah. 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 And, and those are the things that when you're doing your pre-shot routine or your whatever it is that you call your exercise prior to stepping into the ball, those four things are easy to kind of place in a slow motion groove and if your head's in the right place and you're simulating correctly, it's about as good as you can do when you're competing mm -hmm. is, is, you know, visualize what you want to do, rehearse what that would feel like, and then commit to it, period, end of sentence. And usually the visualization is not crystal clear. It's a little, a little blurry in the mind. The rehearsal is kind of skipped through quickly because we're nervous and then we and we don't really know what we're committing to bad shot. So it's learning how to slow down the mind in the right time and then be very precise in your visualization. That allows you to rehearse way better. And then you, it's easier to commit when your rehearsal feels exactly what you visualized. And that's the process of being a great player. How much of your coaching would you say is a combination of you teaching them and you learning from the student? Well, that's a great question. I would say I never know when I'm going to learn something because when we, when I'm coaching and I hear somebody tell me what they feel, 
That's usually gold for me because what people feel, I have no idea what they're going to feel. I'm going to put them in a position and they're going to tell me, oh, that feels like this. Oh, I've never heard that before. Then I've learned something. Hmm. And that's what makes my job so fascinating and fun is that although there's a lot of science and um, physics and mathematics behind TrackMan and all the, all the information that I provide in a golf lesson, those numbers are really just feel. And when I provide somebody with uh, emotion and they tell me, it really feels like I'm doing this. Wow. If I've never heard that before, that's just one more thing I can say. And that happens to me frequently. And that's the funnest part of my job because that's the art. Mm -hmm. The art of it is not having any idea what somebody's going to tell me what they feel when I put them in the appropriate positions. Something I noticed from uh, other content that you've done, especially now in all the craziness that's going on, mm -hmm. um, a lot of times people use golf as an escape. I know I do. Mm -hmm. As you're teaching, how much of that comes into play as people understand, you know what, they just want to get back to some, some normalcy. Well, that's a, that's an awesome uh, situation for us to discuss because at the end of the day, I talk to people quickly about, I would say 90% of the people that play golf would rather hit beautifully struck golf shots and shoot 80 than to scrape it around and shoot 73. Yeah, because most people enjoy the game not so much what the score is, is how well they performed hitting the golf ball. Because that's what most people perceive is of what is a good player. A good player drives it to eighty plus. A good player definitely has that crisp, explosive missile-like sound off of an iron shot. They see somebody hit their wedges close to the hole. They can see a little bit of check and run on their wedge shots, and they leg putt well. All of those things are more of a situation where what makes you tick? Virgil, I just want to enjoy the game. And I just really, I just don't really, if I three putt four times, I don't really care because I don't have the time to work on my putting. But man, I cannot stand not driving the golf ball well, or I'm not good with my middle irons and I throw away eight shots around with poor iron play. Those things are really easy for me to fix. Hmm. And I tell people all the time, it is not difficult for me to get you to play enjoyable golf. It's really difficult for me to get you to play TV, but it is not difficult for me to get you to play enjoyable golf. And that's what most people are actually signing up for. I, if I'm going to have to do this for four hours, five hours, I want it to be fun. Right. And fun is striping drives down the fairway, hitting solid approach shots. And then most people really – they like to score well, but it pales in comparison to how well they hit it. And if they don't get up and down four or seven times and they three putt twice and shoot 80, but they just drove it like Rory and hit their iron shots as close to Tiger as they can fathom in their head, they are as happy as they can possibly be. Hmm. And that's, that's my job. My job is to match up what you need in your heart and your soul to, to enjoy this moment. And my job is to show you how to accomplish that and then at some point, most people get to the, that place where they hit it good enough and they get tired of shooting 80. And that's when the fun begins. Mm. But you have to get to the point where you're so disgusted with how well you hit it and you still shoot 80 that then you're like, aha. Now, and then they become adamantly fervent of learning the game from the Scott Fawcett point of view, which is game management and understanding what the best players do that you're not doing. And instantly, if they get, if they buy into Scott Fawcett's deal in a decade, 
they almost shoot five shots lower the first round because they stop doing the stupid stuff that they think they should do. And they play the percentages all 18 holes. And then they realize how much they've been given away. And then they become so dedicated in the course management side that opens up a whole new avenue for them. But you can't get to that point until you're at the point where you realize how important the management part is. See, that's so interesting to me. And I'm glad you said that because I struggle with that personally, you know, where I, uh, I would want to think more about mechanics. My hands are too low or too shallow, or I'm not turning enough. When in fact, if I'm understanding you correctly, it's, it's understanding what I can do well now. And then maybe shifting my mindset a little bit to really zero in on what I need to improve most. Am I understanding right? 100%. Like to me, I know you're in Chicago and I'm in Nashville, right? So you could send me video and you could say, Virgil, here's my video. This is what I'm thinking. And when I'm playing my best golf, this is the stuff that crosses my mind. And when I'm struggling, this is the stuff that crosses my mind. From there, it's pretty simple for me. Hmm. I'd be able to look at your swing and be like, to me, the golf swing is like this. You come to see me for the first time. The first thing I'm going to ask you to do is swing as fast as you possibly can. Where does your natural speed go? And it'll be on track, man. So like you'll get up there and you'll say, uh, you'll swing as fast as you can. You'll hit a seven iron. That was it right there. Killed it. Okay. That's six degrees inside out. You're swinging six degrees to the right. So what the problem with swinging six degrees to the right is, is that the amount of closure to the club face that's required to bring that, that eight iron back to the target mm-hmm. hooks the bejesus out of your driver. Right. And the amount of closure that it requires to draw the driver back to the fairway perfectly leaves your sandwich in the front right bunker. Mm. So we have to bring the six closer to three and two and one and zero, but you have to understand something. If you swing six to the right, you need to swing six to the left to be zero. Mm -hmm. So it's a 12 degree feel change to make a six degree change. So the feel is twice as bad as the actual, which is why most people struggle is it (laughs) feels so terrible to learn how to do it the right way. So I would be, I'd see your speed. I'd bend your speed towards zero, not wanting it to be zero, wanting you to maintain your draw or fade, but help you understand why you're struggling is because there's so much variance on a path at six left or right that the amount of closures are radically different. So now we have to, we have to navigate that. And that's my game plan. My game plan would be see it fast, bend it straight, and then help your brain cope with it. Mm. That's the challenge. It's you, have to, you, you have to cope with the feel. Right. Okay. And the feel is sometimes very scary, especially when you get to what I call the next best way to play, which is too far inside out. Your hips go a little too far forward. Your path is radically in doubt, and you get hook and block. I call it the German ball. Hook and block it. You can hook it or you can block it. And from there, you, you, you get lost because now you feel like you can't take one side of the golf course away. You're mm-hmm. just as likely to hit 80 yards right as you are 90 yards left. And you play literally terrified. That's where I, that's where I come into play. That's probably what I'm most known for is I take people off the cliff. Mm-hmm. People get to that point. They've worked so hard on their game to get to be good. They've OD'd on the inside. And now they hook and block and they're about ready to jump off the golf cliff. They can't take the punishment any longer. And then I show them the other way. Oh, wow. So you've actually had people come to you about ready to quit. Many times. 
I have so many great stories of n- near death experiences. Yeah. Uh, I have two, two really great ones. So there was a boy who played at middle Tennessee state and I taught his dad for five years and I said, Hey, how's Spencer doing? Oh, well, Virgil, actually he's driving to the athletic department right now. Cause he's going to forego his scholarship because he's not going to play golf anymore. I'm like, why? He's such a good player. He goes, well, we've taken him to see everybody and he's struggling. I take to see Harmon, Ledbetter, blah, 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 whatever. Can't fix him. I said, well, I've never seen him. <laughs> I've been teaching you for five years. I said, well, he goes, well, that's a great deal. I'm not just calling. So he calls him. I'm in the parking lot. I just pulled in dad. He goes, drive to where I was at the time. I was at the Gaylord Opera Land Resort. Um, come over here and let's take Virgil look at you. Literally. And this is no joke. Five swings later, he was striping it. He was rocking off the ball a little bit in the backswing, mm-hmm. sliding through the shot, and he was blocking really everything. He was allowed to qualify, even though the coach knew he was going to quit. He was allowed to qualify and won the qualifier. Wow. So they were playing in a tournament at Puerto Rico. It was early it was like January or early February of, I think it was 07 or 08. And he go. They said, "I tell you what, you won the qualifier, but we're so scared to take you out there because you have a bunch of 80s in your scores throughout the year. We're going to take you as an individual." He won the golf tournament as an individual and didn't count for the team. He won three more times that year. Unbelievable! And then probably the greatest story I have is a girl played at Vanderbilt. Her name was mm-hmm. Megan Graham. Mm-hmm. She was hitting balls in my bay where I was teaching at the time, and I'm like, um, "It's a private club at the time, go, ma'am. Do you have a lesson with me?" Because I don't have a female on my docket. She says, no, I'm just hitting balls. And now I have to be a jerk because now I have to tell her that she can't practice here because she's not a member. Sure. Well, it turns out she is a member. It was her first day. Oh. I said, oh, didn't you play at Vanderbilt? She goes, yeah, but I suck. The only reason I quit playing for a year and a half. So she hadn't swung a golf club in 18 months, but she's going to go play with her dad in the member guest at Medalist. She goes, I can't hit it. I'm like, well, it looks pretty good to me, but your clubs are a wreck. They're an inch too long at least and they're five degrees upright. But my lesson showed up and she left. So eight hours later, I'm going to my car after teaching and she's going back to the driving range. And she said, could you see me tomorrow? I said, yeah, as a matter of fact, I had a playing lesson canceled. Why don't you uh, come at nine o'clock? She goes, I'll take all four hours. Wow. I taught her for four hours. She went and played golf in Florida with her dad. Played great. She says, Virgil, we need to talk. I said, what? She goes, I quit my job. I'm turning professional. Huh. Okay. So she struggled a little bit and she finished dead last in Q school for the LPGA tour. So she comes to see me and she goes, I got a question. Would you be willing to go with me to Morocco to the ladies European tour qualifier? I'm like, yeah, sure. Well, when are we leaving tomorrow? (laughs) So I'm thinking I'm only going to be coaching. I actually have to caddy. Oh, right. So I have to navigate this girl around this golf course. She's not played good golf in a really long time. She shoots like 11 under par for four days and gets her European tour card. No kidding. The next year she finishes third in LPGA Q school and has her tour card. And it's almost like because she achieved the impossible dream, that's all she wanted to do. And all of a sudden her drive was gone. And, but she was a tremendous player, but literally quit the game. Because her equipment was so bad, inch long, five degrees, too upright. She would shank it or hook it. She couldn't play. And I took those are my two favorite off the cliff stories. But they're so golf is so penalizing at the highest level because 
of what's required to keep the ball in play is so nuancy and so tight that it's it can drive people bananas. And I, I try to bring a little bit of levity to the situation. And once again, simple. I simplify the motion and then I get inside their head. And when I caddy, that's when I realized the power of what I do because I was in, I was caddying. I don't like to caddy much because I think there's a lot of danger in it for the coach, mm-hmm. but that particular person in that particular moment was a beautiful moment for me because that's when I realized if I have the ability to talk to you before you hit the shot, I can program your mind what I want you to think. It's like neuro-linguistic program. It's NLP. I, t- I sneak in the back door and talk to you about what you're going to do, and you sneakily do it. It's, it's one of my favorite things, for sure. Wow. Those stories are absolutely incredible. Absolutely incredible. <laughs> they, they keep me going when things are a little tough, I can tell you that. Yeah. Well, I think that seems to be the mantra. I think you've built a very strong foundation around that. Keep going when things get tough. I mean, that's what's coming across clearly for me. While walking through hell, keep walking. Very important to me. You know, walking through the, 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 the shadow of death. Yeah. Don't stop. Keep walking. Keep walking. Wow. Well, Virgil, I know we're just about out of time for this conversation. I think we could probably have many more, and I'm so glad that we had the chance to connect. Uh, where can our listeners find more about Virgil Herring? Okay, so on Twitter, I am at Virgil Torspin. Uh, on Instagram, I'm Virgil.Herring. Uh, you can go to my YouTube page, which is just Virgil Herring, and all of my all the things that I've done for News Channel 5 and CBS here in Nashville, it's like 13 years of uh, video is there for people to view. My book, Elevated, and my book, The Golf Journal, both bestsellers are available on Amazon. Uh, and all of my podcasts are available on iTunes, which is On The Verge, and Elevated, which just started with uh, my co-author, Drew Maddox. So all, I'm, I have a lot of platforms, uh, and I'm a big believer in diversifying your portfolio. So the more things that I can do to keep my creative juices going and keep business flowing in, it's a good thing. That is a very good thing. And I think that we will make this, uh, this will not be the first episode we do together. I, I, I think this is a, gr- a wealth of knowledge that our listeners would really appreciate. Well, I'm, I'm honored to be on your, on your podcast, Adam, and you can have me on anytime you want, because I love to, I love to be around other brilliant people. I love to listen to other people's perspectives because even though I did a lot of the talking here, the questions that you asked me made me think it made me better. And that's the kind of stuff that, that's what podcasting is for job is ask me questions and make me think. And when you do that, that makes me better and it'll make me a better interviewer and I make me a better coach. And hopefully my, my content is entertaining to your listeners and we get a chance to do it more often. Absolutely, sir. And thank you for coming on. Once again, folks, that is Mr. Virgil Herring. You can find him all over YouTube. You can find him on, uh, be sure to go listen to on the verge, his podcast on Apple podcasts, wherever you can find it as well as his new one uh, elevated with uh he he just started this and so virgil we're gonna we're gonna have you back on again in the future thanks again for coming on today have a good rest uh, of your week here sir thank you very much and uh it's an honor to be on and i look forward to being on again